Section 11 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 11, The Letters, 1776. Saturday evening, 2 March, 1776, to John Adams. I was greatly rejoiced at the return of your servant, to find you had safely arrived, and that you were well. I had never heard a word from you after you had left New York, and a most ridiculous story had been industriously propagated in this and the neighboring towns to injure the cause and blast your reputation, namely that you and your president, note John Hancock, had gone on board of a man-of-war from New York and sailed for England. I should not mention so idle a report, but that it had given uneasiness to some of your friends, not that they in the least credited the report, but because the gaping vulgar swallowed the story. One man, note Dr. Church, had deserted them and proved a traitor, another might, etc., I assure you, such high disputes took place in the public house of this parish that some men were collared and dragged out of the shop with great threats for reporting such scandalous lies, and an uncle of ours offered his life as a forfeit for you if the report proved true. However, it has been a nine days marvel and will now cease. I heartily wish every Tory was extirpated from America. They are continually, by secret means, undermining and injuring our cause. I am charmed with the sentiments of common sense, and wonder how an honest heart, one who wishes the welfare of his country and the happiness of posterity, can hesitate one moment at adopting them. I want to know how these sentiments are received in Congress. I dare say there would be no difficulty in procuring a vote and instructions from all the assemblies in New England for independency. I most sincerely wish that now, in the lucky moment, it might be done. I have been kept in a continual state of anxiety and expectation ever since you left me. It has been said tomorrow and tomorrow for this month, but when the dreadful tomorrow will be, I know not. But hark, the house this instant shakes with the roar of cannon. I have been to the door and find it is a cannonade from our army. Orders, I find, are come for all the remaining militia to repair to the lines Monday night by twelve o'clock. No sleep for me tonight. And if I cannot, who have no guilt upon my soul with regard to this cause, how shall the miserable wretches who have been the procurers of this dreadful scene, and those who are to be the actors, lie down with the load of guilt upon their souls? Sunday evening, 3 March. I went to bed after twelve, but got no rest. The cannon continued firing and my heart beat pace with them all night. We have had a pretty quiet day, but what tomorrow will bring forth, God only knows. Monday evening, tolerably quiet, 
Today the militia have all mustered with three days' provision, and are all marched by three o'clock this afternoon, though their notice was no longer ago than eight o'clock Saturday. And now we have scarcely a man but our regular guards, either in Weymouth, Hingham, Braintree, or Milton, and the militia from the more remote towns are called in as seacoast guards. Can you form to yourself an idea of our sensations? I have just returned from Penn's Hill, where I have been sitting to hear the amazing roar of cannon, and from whence I could see every shell which was thrown. The sound, I think, is one of the grandest in nature, and is of the true species of the sublime. Tis now an incessant roar, but, oh, the fatal ideas which are connected with the sound, how many of our dear countrymen must fall. Tuesday morning. I went to bed about twelve, and rose again a little after one. I could no more sleep than if I had been in the engagement. The rattling of the windows, the jar of the house, the continual roar of twenty-four-pounders, and the bursting of shells, give us such ideas, and realize a scene to us of which we could form scarcely any conception. About six this morning there was quiet. I rejoiced in a few hours' calm. I hear we got possession of Dorchester Hill last night. Four thousand men upon it to-day, lost but one man. The ships are all drawn round the town. Tonight we shall realize a more terrible scene still. I sometimes think I cannot stand it. I wish myself with you out of hearing, as I cannot assist them. I hope to give you joy of Boston, even if it is in ruins, before I send this away. I am too much agitated to write as I ought, and languid for want of rest. Thursday, Fast Day All my anxiety and distress is at present at an end. I feel disappointed. This day our militia are all returning without effecting anything more than taking possession of Dorchester Hill. I hope it is wise and just, but from all the muster and stir, I hoped and expected more important and decisive scenes. I would not have suffered all I have for two such hills. Ever since the taking of that, we have had a perfect calm, nor can I learn yet what effect it has had in Boston. I do not hear of one person's escaping since. I was very much pleased with your choice of a committee for Canada. All those to whom I have ventured to show that part of your letter approve the scheme of the priest as a masterstroke of policy. I feel sorry that General Lee has left us, but his presence at New York was no doubt of great importance as we have reason to think it prevented Clinton from landing and gathering together such a nest of vermin as would at least have distressed us greatly. But how can you spare him from here? Can you make his place good? Can you supply it with a man equally qualified to save us? How do the Virginians relish the troops said to be destined for them? Are they putting themselves into a state of defense? I cannot bear to think of your continuing in a state of supineness this winter. 
There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves, or lose our ventures. Sunday evening. I had scarcely finished these lines, when my ears were again assaulted by the roar of cannon. I could not write any further. My hand and heart will tremble at this domestic fury and fierce civil strife, which cumber all our parts, though blood and destruction are so much in use, and dreadful objects so familiar, yet is not pity choked, nor my heart grown callous. I feel for the unhappy wretches who know not where to fly for safety. I feel still more for my bleeding countrymen who are hazarding their lives and their limbs. A most terrible and incessant cannonade from half-past eight till six this morning. I hear we lost four men killed and some wounded in attempting to take the hill nearest the town, called Nook's Hill. We did some work but the fire from the ships beat off our men, so that they did not secure it, but retired to the fort upon the other hill. I have not got all the particulars. I wish I had, but as I have an opportunity of sending this, I shall endeavor to be more particular in my next. If there are reinforcements here, I believe we shall be driven from the sea-coast, but in whatever state I am, I will endeavor to be therewith content. Man wants but little here below, no wants that little long. You will excuse this very incorrect letter. You see in what perturbation it has been written, and how many times I have left off. Adieu. Yours. Braintree, 7 April, 1776. To John Adams. I have received all the papers you sent, the oration and the magazines. In the small papers I sometimes find pieces begun and continued, for instance, Johnston's speech, but am so unlucky as not to get the papers in order and miss of seeing the whole. The removal of the army seems to have stopped the current of news. I want to know to what part of America they are now wandering. It is reported, and credited, that Manley has taken a schooner belonging to the fleet, richly laden with money, plate, and English goods, with a number of Tories. The particulars I have not yet learned. Yesterday the remains of our worthy General Warren were dug up on Bunker's Hill and carried into town, and on Monday are to be interred with all the honors of war. 10 April. The doctor was buried on Monday, the Masons walking in procession from the State House with the military in uniforms and a large concourse of people attending. He was carried into the chapel, and there a funeral dirge was played, an excellent prayer by Dr. Cooper, and an oration by Mr. Morton, which I hope will be printed. I think the subject must have inspired him. A young fellow could not have wished a finer opportunity to display his talents. The amiable and heroic virtues of the deceased, recent in the minds of the audience, 
the noble cause to which he fell a martyr, their own sufferings and unparalleled injuries, all fresh in their minds, must have given weight and energy to whatever could be delivered upon the occasion. The dead body, like that of Caesar before their eyes, whilst each wound, like dumb mouths, did ope their ruby lips, to beg the voice and utterance of a tongue, Woe to the hands that shed this costly blood! A curse shall light upon their line. 11 April I take my pen and write just as I can get time. My letters will be a strange mixture. I really am cumbered about many things, and scarcely know which way to turn myself. I miss my partner, and find myself unequal to the cares which fall upon me. I find it necessary to be the directress of our husbandry. I hope in time to have the reputation of being as good a farmeress as my partner has of being a good statesman. To ask you anything about your return would, I suppose, be asking a question which you cannot answer. Retirement, rural quiet, domestic pleasures, all, all must give place to the weighty cares of state. It would be meanly poor in solitude to hide an honest zeal unwarped by party rage. Though certain pains attend the cares of state, a good man owes his country to be great, should act abroad the high distinguished part, and show at least the purpose of his heart. I hope your Prussian general will answer the high character which is given of him. But we, who have been bred in a land of liberty, scarcely know how to give credit to so unjust and arbitrary a mandate of a despot. To cast off a faithful servant only for being the unhappy bearer of ill news degrades the man and dishonors the prince. The Congress, by employing him, have shown a liberality of sentiment not confined to colonies or continents, but, to use the words of common sense, have carried their friendship on a larger scale by claiming brotherhood with every European Christian and may justly triumph in the generosity of the sentiment. Yesterday was taken and carried into Cohasset by three whaleboats who went from the shore on purpose, a snow from the Granadas, laden with 354 puncheons of West India rum, 43 barrels of sugar, 12,500 weight of coffee, a valuable prize. A number of eastern sloops have brought wood into town since the fleet sailed. We have a rumor of Admiral Hopkins being engaged with a number of ships and tenders off Rhode Island, and are anxious to know the event. Be so good as to send me a list of the vessels which sail with Hopkins, their names, weight of metal, and number of men, all the news you know, etc. I hear our jurors refuse to serve, because the writs are issued in the king's name. Surely they are for independence. Write me how you do this winter. I want to say many things I must omit. It is not fit to wake the soul by tender strokes of art, or to ruminate upon happiness we might enjoy, lest absence become intolerable. Adieu. Yours.
I wish you would burn all my letters. Braintree, 7 May, 1776, to John Adams. How many are the solitary hours I spend, ruminating upon the past and anticipating the future, whilst you, overwhelmed with the cares of state, have but a few moments you can devote to any individual. All domestic pleasures and enjoyments are absorbed in the great and important duty you owe your country. Quote, For our country is, as it were, a secondary god and the first and greatest parent. It is to be preferred to parents, wives, children, friends, and all things, the gods only excepted, for if our country perishes, it is as impossible to save an individual as to preserve one of the fingers of a mortified hand. Thus do I suppress every wish and silence every murmur, acquiescing in a painful separation from the companion of my youth and the friend of my heart. I believe tis near ten days since I wrote you a line. I have not felt in a humor to entertain you if I had taken up my pen. Perhaps some unbecoming invective might have fallen from it. The eyes of our rulers have been closed, and a lethargy has seized almost every member. I fear a fatal security has taken possession of them. Whilst the building is in flames, they tremble at the expense of water to quench it. In short, two months have elapsed since the evacuation of Boston, and very little has been done in that time to secure it, or the harbor, from future invasion. The people are all in a flame, and no one among us that I have heard of even mentions expense. They think universally that there has been an amazing neglect somewhere. Many have turned out as volunteers to work upon Noddle's Island, and many more would go upon Nantasket if the business was once set on foot. Tis a maxim of state that power and liberty are like heat and moisture. Where they are well mixed, everything prospers. Where they are single, they are destructive. A government of more stability is much wanted in this colony, and they are ready to receive it from the hands of the Congress and since I have begun with maxims of state, I will add another, namely, that a people may let a king fall, yet still remain a people. But if a king let his people slip from him, he is no longer a king. And as this is most certainly our case, why not proclaim to the world in decisive terms your own importance? Shall we not be despised by foreign powers for hesitating so long at a word? I cannot say that I think you are very generous to the ladies, for whilst you are proclaiming peace and goodwill to men, emancipating all nations, you insist upon retaining an absolute power over wives. But you must remember that arbitrary power is like most other things which are very hard, very liable to be broken. And notwithstanding all your wise laws and maxims, we have it in our power not only to free ourselves, but to subdue our masters, and, without violence, 
throw both your natural and legal authority at our feet. Charm by accepting, by submitting, sway, yet have our humor most when we obey. I thank you for several letters which I have received since I wrote last. They alleviate a tedious absence, and I long earnestly for a Saturday evening and experience a similar pleasure to that which I used to find in the return of my friend upon that day after a week's absence. The idea of a year dissolves all my philosophy. Our little ones, whom you so often recommend to my care and instruction, shall not be deficient in virtue or probity, if the precepts of a mother have their desired effect. But they would be doubly enforced could they be indulged with the example of a father alternately before them. I often point them to their sire, engaged in a corrupted state, wrestling with vice and faction. 9 May. I designed to have finished the sheet, but an opportunity offering, I close only just informing you that, May the 7th, our privateers took two prizes in the bay, in fair sight of the man of war, one a brig from Ireland, the other from Fayal, loaded with wine, brandy, etc., the other with beef, etc. The wind was east, and a flood tide, so that the tenders could not get out, though they tried several times. The lighthouse fired signal guns, but all would not do. They took them in triumph and carried them into Lynn. Pray be kind enough to remember me at all times, and write as often as you possibly can to your Portia. End of section 11